Hi, and welcome back to the Active Travel Podcast, brought to you by the Active Travel Academy and to season two. So we had a little break over autumn. We've all been very busy working on lots of different projects, but we are delighted to finally bring you the second episode and we hope to have more in the weeks to come. But without further ado, let's hand over to Professor Rachel Aldred, Active Travel Academy founder and to our guest. So I'm really happy to be here for an episode of the Active Travel podcast with Harriet Larrington Spencer, who's a researcher at um, Healthy Active Cities at the University of Salford. So hi, Harry. Good to have you here. Hi, Rachel. Thank you for having me. Great. So one of the things I wanted to start with was really about how you got into this, how you got into researching active travel, because one of the great things about active travel is that it's um, so there's people from a whole range of different backgrounds in the field in terms of disciplinary backgrounds. So can you tell me how you got into it? Yeah, it's uh, so my academic background is originally not active travel. I come from a geography background, so my bachelor's is in geography. Um, And then I moved to the Netherlands to do my master's, which was in water management and irrigation. So very different from active travel. And whilst I was there and I did my Erasmus as part of my master's in Copenhagen, um, just I went from kind of cycling for for recreation and, and a bit of sport to cycling every day. When you arrive at university as an international student in the Netherlands, they tell you no bike, no life. So you kind of the first thing the first thing they give you is a list of all the secondhand places to to buy a bike. And then from that moment, cycling just became my natural form of transportation. And when I so then I started my PhD back in the UK in Manchester, Um, I was cycling every day for transportation and I got hit by a car and then I had to start changing the type of cycling so whilst I was cycling for transportation I was also doing cycling for sport but I had to kind of start working out how to cycle for transportation um, in a way that I could do because the 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 car damaged my left arm so it doesn't work and my hand doesn't work anymore Um, so it became how could I use a two-wheel bike so I, I started doing doing that and even on two wheels I found quite a lot of barriers to cycling and and doing my everyday journeys that I just hadn't considered before and then more recently to make it a lot easier for myself I I have a trike and so I can do my shopping and carry my dog more easily and the barriers that were difficult to negotiate on a on a bike have become impossible to negotiate on a trike and um so it started from there really and and thinking about active travel and that everybody has a has a right basically it's kind of the right to the city is that everyone should be able to to move actively around their local neighborhood and how to enable that wow thank you now (laughs) i'm going to pick up on different bits of that but just to go back to the netherlands experience so when you went to the netherlands had you been cycling much before in this country or were were you completely new to it or no so i wasn't completely new i grew up in the middle of Norfolk in the the kind of the middle of nowhere countryside. So to get to see friends, it was always cycling. Um, but also it was it was cycling through farmland and fields and or very small country lanes. And it it was never really uh, it wasn't an everyday thing. So to actually get anywhere you we had no bus service that you had to learn to drive if you wanted to get anywhere independently. And before kind of 17, 18 cycling offered that but it it wasn't particularly viable to get very far 
Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I, um, that sounds kind of familiar. Um, and when, when you um, came back to Manchester after the, or you came to Manchester after the Netherlands, uh, how was it suddenly cycling in Manchester after having cycled in the Netherlands? It was uh, just a complete world away. It's, I think, even if you remove the infrastructure from from the from kind of that equation, and it's the infrastructure makes a difference. It's also I think everyone in the Netherlands who drives is also a cyclist so it, it's it's yeah the infrastructure is not there and then also cyclists are not in the minds of drivers either so when I got hit by a car it was because the driver overtook me and turned left because they didn't even and it was across a, a segregated cycle lane as well um so it's it that, that they didn't even think that they had to kind of consider that there might be a cyclist on the cycle lane and yeah but it's completely different yeah it just highlights the, the need for the infrastructure but also the need for the, the cultural change behavior change as well at the same yeah, time yeah right? exactly mm -hmm. and then you were talking about how you cycling as a disabled cyclist using a two-wheeler and then using a trike was was different could you say a little bit more about that and about some of the barriers that, that you experienced there yeah so with a with two wheels, I can I can do it and I can I can cycle and it's fine. But moving the handlebars is quite difficult. Picking up my bike is difficult. So the probably the biggest barrier is if you are using share paths and and there's barriers on the share path. So you've got a a frames are the worst, but there's also chicanes. So I think most people probably know what chicanes are, but kind of small fences to to slow you down. Um, so it, it just started to with with the two wheels, you kind of you can negotiate it, but it takes time and it takes energy and I, I can't really lift my bike and it causes pain when I do it. And then when you get to three wheels, because you the, the cycle is longer and it's wider, you literally cannot like you can't get it past A frames at all. And sometimes you can get it past chicanes. But to do that, my husband has to kind of pick up the trike and, and negotiate it around. And I can't do that at all by myself so it just it means that that certain cycle cycling routes are completely off limits to me and they're often the cycle routes that are the nicest ones because they're completely away from cars and roads and why why do you think this kind of this kind of thing exists why given that you know potentially it's it's not in line with equality legislation no so the 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 kind of technical reason that they're there is to prevent motorcycles and antisocial anti behaviour on on cycle routes. Often, it's part of the planning permission to get the route, and the police have to if a route is going to be off road, then the police have to agree to it as well. And the police's kind of standard response is an A frame, um, and some residents don't also want A frames as well because there's often. I think there's often a fear of this kind of antisocial behaviour in motorcycles, not necessarily that that it's going to happen. Um, so, yeah, and it and now I'm kind of the more I get into it, the the more I struggle because I think kind of maybe a few years ago it was that councils wouldn't know about the Equality Act and and kind of the what what their responsibilities are to to disabled cyclists but more and more I'm seeing councils saying things like oh we've looked at LTN 120 which very specifically says don't use A-frames don't use chicanes and the councils will recognize that 
that they they should not be using those and they shouldn't be implementing those and that by implementing those they're excluding disabled cyclists but at the same time they kind of say we're, we're doing it anyway and we've got no other way to manage motorcyclists so this is what we'll do yeah so that's oh, just to probably um, pick up on at the LTN 120 the site new cycle infrastructure design guidance so that's seen some improvements but obviously isn't necessarily feeding through into practice and does it highlight the extent to which things need to be aligned for things to change if the police you know you don't necessarily just need transport to attitudes to change in transport planning but also the police and so on as well yeah it it definitely needs to be a much more joined up approach and even now in in Stockport we're seeing that there are routes that are accessible. So if you look at LTM 120, they say that the um, the ideal route would have bollards spaced at 1.5 metres. And so in Stockport, they're taking cycle routes and walking routes that have this spacing already, and they're putting chicanes on them. And I just saw a proposal yesterday where they're asking for an A-frame barrier. Um, so yeah, there, there needs to be working with police and with residents and with disabled people as, as well. But to me, it should it, the, the kind of the equality of access should be the centre point, in, and it's what should we be do? What can we do to achieve that, rather than kind of the restricting of of motorcycles being being the point where where they start design. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of trying to restrict a, a, a minority of problematic users of one mode that's maybe not even actually the case. It's something that's feared rather than trying to ensure inclusive access for, for walking and cycling, which is meant to be something that's being encouraged. Yeah, exactly. And the more people you have using a route legitimately, the less attractive it will be to anyone on a motorcycle. If, if you think that you're going to access that route because it's kind of a, an empty space that you can whiz through on your bike, it's much less attractive if it's full of everybody on trikes, bikes, with pushchairs, walking. It's it's very different. Great. And that, that sort of brings up another topic, which is around inclusivity of active travel. So um, could you maybe sort of tell us a little bit about what active travel, how inclusive active travel is or what, what needs to change? Um, I think active travel is getting much more inclusive. I see a lot of people who are non-disabled recognizing the barriers that disabled people have to active travel. Um, I think at kind of a grassroots level, especially it it's happening more with sport than with active travel is that is kind of getting disabled people more involved, recognizing the barriers that disabled people have. Um, I think in active travel, it would really help if design centered disabled people because anything designed for disabled people is is going to be good for everybody um so with cycling there's so there is a lot of barriers for disabled people anyone who wants to use a non-standard cycle there's not only the infrastructural barriers and you you know they're there so it's kind of like why would you invest in something if the routes that you want to go on with your family or your friends you can't get on and then on top of that you have the you have the cost of a of the equipment so a non-standard cycle is thousands and thousands of pounds and then on top of that you have the insurance of it you have to have the secure storage to meet the insurance requirements and then you also need to know that when you cycle somewhere there will be a secure place to lock your cycle as well so um i've i found with my trike i can't <laughs> i can't even use a sheffield stand without 
taking up multiple spaces on the Sheffield stand and I don't want to block other people from being able to um to be able to park their cycles so there's kind of there's all these factors that have to be um accounted for and and it's the same with with walking and with using a wheelchair that so much of of the urban environment isn't isn't suitable for just independently using your wheelchair to get to your to your local area whether there's no pavement drops if there's pavement parking um parks that don't have accessible entrances to them it's when and when you start noticing it and i think this has happened a lot with non-disabled people as well when disabled people who are who are working in active travel have start and our advocates within it have started pointing it out is that once you start seeing it you can't stop seeing it and and it's just it, it defies belief really that you would have a park that not everybody can can access what well, because of barriers at the gates because of steps yeah so, so very similar things to to cycle paths is that you have kind of the chicane entrances into the park which make it quite difficult especially if um you're on something more recumbent if you're on a hand cycle for example so you're lower down and you'll have a a, a longer base um yeah even wheelchairs i think sometimes struggle to go through the these spaces unless it's a, a wide open gate and do you think that's starting to change in planning at all i mean if advocates are noticing it are planners noticing it are things getting better i think that things are changing so ltm 120 was a, a massive win in inclusive cycling and that you can you read through that document and you you see the advocacy work of wheels for well-being in there and how powerfully and and positively they've they've impacted the world of inclusive cycling in terms of planning from councils in greater manchester i feel like there's much more awareness of it but there's a real struggle to to start making those changes for for whatever reason and i i do think there needs to be a bit of bravery that i can understand that some of these are are quite big changes um to say we're not going to restrict access is, is a big change to how kind of urban planning has has been done but i i've also seen some really positive things so manchester highways has recently created a an access group that that's consist that has a lot of disabled people with a lot of different kind of experiences and skills and they are hopefully going to listen to those views when when they're implementing active travel projects um but yeah it's kind of a time time will tell you were mentioning about Manchester highways and maybe it's time to say something about the Greater Manchester context because Greater Manchester is I think it's something like 2.7 million people across the urban area so yeah large urban area metropolitan area um, different authorities and so on different levels of planning um, so how does that work in terms of active travel how is it structured and, and you know is it different authorities in charge of different bits and so on? Yeah so different authorities will be in charge of their own area I think we then have the B networks for, for walking and cycling with Chris Boardman as the walking and cycling commissioner. So this is trying to join those up a bit and have a, a more integrated approach to walking and, and cycling. Um, it's a struggle because the different councils have different approaches and different histories. I mean, you can definitely see in Salford at the moment that 
they're really progressing <laughs> with their kind of they're walking and cycling, working to make things much more inclusive. So they've on one of the the big walking and cycling trails, they've just been removing barriers and replacing them with bollards that are 1.5 meters apart and celebrating that as well on social media, recognizing that it's it's a really positive thing to be doing and showing that as a positive example to to the other councils in Greater Manchester. Um, and I think having that kind of the overall B networks who have committed to having an inclusive approach, they have the the twelve year old cycling as the 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 body around which um, the infrastructure is being built. Personally, I think the the twelve year old should be on a trike, but but it's kind of it is getting there, and they've they've said no barriers. Although you see that being put into practice quite differently but there is pushback against it and also um, in Greater Manchester we have Walk Ride which is a, a community-based organisation so there's the central body and then there's all different smaller groups of people who are really interested in walking and cycling and you see such fantastic work within those smaller groups that they have really good connections with their councils and the walking and cycling forums and they're they're putting a lot of pressure onto the councils to make sure that everything done is thinking about everyone who who wants to use those the the walking and cycling infrastructure that's being built and it's just really nice to see kind of everybody committed to making things inclusive because often there's a lot of what has to be done and it often falls onto the shoulders of disabled people to do that labor so it's nice to to not always have to be the one that is pointing out the issues and following up with councillors and councils and do you think that's kind of important as well that you have because that that's quite distinctive that you have um the sort of walking and cycling advocates together in the same in the same advocacy group does that does that make a big difference yeah i think it's fantastic i i think the speed with which with which walk ride gm and the the smaller local groups have grown over the past couple of years really demonstrates kind of the local appetite for walking and cycling and the the skills in those groups that has developed as well is amazing. So for some people, it's that they they work within walking and cycling, kind of design or infrastructure, behavior change within local councils. And they have those skills kind of from their jobs and from their training. But for some people, they're, they're kind of new to it and, and learning and, and reading all of this, all of the documents and policies that are being produced. And it's just fantastic for for people being able to to hold the councils to 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 their word basically and to the point where people if something's installed and it doesn't look right or i pointed out something at the weekend someone was there measuring it with a tape measure to to check out whether the distance between the chicanes meets with the sustrans design guidelines um yeah it's really cool Returning to the barriers side of things, you talked quite a bit about the physical barriers, but you talked earlier also about the sort of cost and linked with that, the storage that you don't want to store something that's expensive. It might get, uh, you know, if it's not secure, it might get stolen. Do you think more needs to be done to improve um, access, you know, availability, affordability of adapted cycles, e-bikes and trikes and so on? Yeah, definitely. And there's, I think part of it is that if we are moving towards a modal shift, then hopefully these products, because they're, they're quite a rare thing. So if you're having to import them 
and there's very few being imported, then they're going to be higher costs. So there's kind of one aspect is the more people we have doing it, then hopefully a reduction in cost. But they are kind of they are specialists, so they're going to be more expensive than a standard two wheel cycle. So there's some really great schemes going on. So Wheels for Wellbeing have one scheme in London, which is looking at loaning people non-standard cycles and really helping people choose cycles that are appropriate for them and and being able to do a loan scheme that can then turn into a ownership if they're interested in it. And also um, Cycling Projects has a similar thing in, in West Midlands and we're setting up a trike library in, in Manchester. And then hopefully that will, if people, people will get a chance to experience trikes because you if if they're rare and you don't get a chance to have a go on them you're not going to splash out two thousand pounds if you don't if you don't know how it's going to fit into your life so you really you need to start doing those everyday journeys you need to have a go at taking your trike to the to the shop to get milk and and to work it doesn't yeah and have that that space to build it up and build it up over time and see whether it works so I think with the trike library that we've raised money for as part of Walk Ride in Manchester, we're going to hopefully loan out cycles for three months at a time, maybe more, and and help people with journey planning, with ride buddying and all of those smaller parts to get people into it. Um, the storage, the storage is is a real issue and it also comes into into policing as well and and monitoring. And if you I think bike crime is is very low on the police agenda at the moment because there's not that much funding for police. So it, it's working out ways to do that. And there is this kind of on on road storage that we've seen in Waltham Forest and you can get adapt versions of that. So there's options that we just need to keep pushing for and and ensuring that when we're thinking about those options. So in, in Greater Manchester, there is um there is some of, I think in Salford, there's some of these on-street cycle hangers, but for people to push for ones that can hold non-standard cycles as well when when they're kind of being brought up in their local area. Do you think there's potentially a role for a more universal scheme as well? Because one of the things, one of the criticisms that's been made of the um, cycle to work scheme is that, you know, it's only you have to have an employer that's opted in. It excludes anybody who's not in, in employment. So a lot of older people, proportionally more disabled people and so on. Do you think we kind of need a more universal access to cycling scheme? Yeah, we definitely do. At the moment, it's kind of it falls on the the charity sector to be implementing it, and their capacity to implement it is based upon their resources and and always scraping the money together to be able to do it. And it's really frustrating when it's something that would help so many people. Um, yeah, I mean, a universal scheme would be amazing. I tried to. You can. There's ways to do it through kind of access to work. But it's always there's always kind of caveats within it. And it's so you just have to keep arguing for it. So mobility is the obvious way to do it. And there are mobility aids that you access through mobility. So to have that as as a way to do it. And also in the Netherlands, they have very similar schemes where disabled people can have access to active travel equipment. yeah, and it's it's at a time when I think people are really recognising that disabled people want to be more active. The benefits, the public health benefits of disabled people being more active are huge. And organisations like Great, um, like um, Sport England, as we come out of the pandemic, are centralising disabled people within 
within their programs and they want to disproportionately invest in disabled people. So I think it is a really good time to start thinking about how to make these, how to make access to, to non-standard cycles and adapted cycles, kind of a universal scheme. Cool. And and what would if you were thinking about um, you know your priorities for getting more disabled people cycling? What would your what what would you prioritise? What would you think would be the most important thing? Um, one would be the access to the cycles. Two would be working out connected routes within cities. So in Greater Manchester, we have the B networks, but we need to look at how the B networks connect and with the existing infrastructure that we already have and how to make that infrastructure barrier free and accessible. Um, another one would be looking at cycles as mobility aids in in Greater Manchester, for example, people aren't allowed to take cycles onto the trams, which really it inhibits multimodal journeys. So you can't you couldn't cycle from, I don't know, sail into Manchester city centre as a disabled person to work and then think, actually, I'm too tired to cycle home. Let me take my let me take my trike on on the tram. So because you can't do that, then you're you're then making it a less viable option because you can't do those first and last or you. Yeah, you can't do those the parts you need by public transport so and also to be able to to use the pedestrian areas if you need it to to be able to put your shopping onto your bike or trike close to the shops um and and having the storage for it as well and it doesn't i mean for shopping it doesn't have to be the super secure sheltered storage it's just having storage solutions that are well spaced that can that you can use with with a trike and have space to not only put your trike but you have to think about how people are getting off and on so you need to have that space between the stands one one question i was going to ask also on the research theme was get you obviously this is an under-researched um area if what would your sort of fantasy research project be if you had a two million pound research budget or whatever you know imagine um imagine the zeros what what would your research program be looking at inclusive cycling or inclusive active travel so for i think inclusive active travel i think it would be fascinating to do a a community mapping project where you work with disabled people's organizations and you have disabled people map their their everyday journeys that they do either by whatever mode of transport they're doing and then work with people to to look at how active travel can replace non-active travel journeys basically so and the one like the very close ones so going to places for for small amounts of shopping going to visit your children going to visit your parents going to the park taking the kids to school those journeys but looking really specifically at the different types of challenges that people have with those um and working out how to then use that to to create kind of more local regeneration because yeah because you're not going to get active travel if people physically can't use their, their local environment and and think about how to prioritize those so that's one aspect and another aspect I'm really interested in is um, shared space in in urban centers because it is a really it's a very aesthetically pleasing 
thing to have, I think, shared space. But obviously, there's a lot of challenges that it offers and conflicting challenges that it has for, for different groups of people. So for visually impaired people in particular, shared space is, is quite a challenging um, thing to have. And it can create an environment that that whilst statistically it's probably very unlikely that you're going to get hit by a bike it doesn't stop the environment being hostile so thinking about the types of the behavior within shared spaces and and how to kind of move cohe both move cohesively and behave in cohesive ways within the shared space, but also what type of infrastructures within the shared space enable that that type of behavior so kind of a, a two way approach to that. And actually, just thinking about um, that in terms of the the infrastructure and sharing infrastructures, are there good examples? We've talked quite a bit about the the barriers and some of the problems. Can you think of good examples of of environments that work well for inclusive active travel, and either in Greater Manchester or somewhere else, and why why it's good? We have a couple of bits now in Greater Manchester. It's difficult because actually one of the best places for kind of walking and cycling in Greater Manchester is Oxford Road. So, and it is a really good, it's a really good piece of infrastructure, but the cycle lane is just not quite wide enough. So I can't actually use it on the trike. But normally I would say that there is a few bits of um, segregated cycle lanes that are kind of four meters wide and have space for bi-directional cycling flow. So, I mean, these are perfect. Um, but that's quite a short stretch. I'm trying to think of something. I I think low traffic neighbourhoods, for example, offer real opportunity for for inclusive active travel. They don't have the segregated cycle lanes, obviously, but by reducing the the cars using the roads, there is that space for any type of cycle. Um, there's space for wheelchairs and mobility scooters. I think the the challenge with low traffic neighbourhoods is that it's not you don't automatically make them inclusive by by filtering the cars from them and that the the existing infrastructures within them can already can can still pose challenges so um i think speed bumps is quite a good example that if you are non-disabled and walking or cycling a speed bump isn't going to bother you but if you're on a recumbent cycle um speed bumps are not very pleasant at all and the same with pavement drops as well and and there's a lot of the the, the issues around the built environment so some of those things around narrow bike lanes around um foot, you know uneven footways and so on um is a lot of that to do with accommodating motor traffic and then sort of people on foot people on bikes sort of have to fight it out for what's left yeah, exactly. And you see a lot of um, space for cycling always seems to be reallocating space away from pedestrians. Um, so <laughs> the weekend I visited a new proposed walking and cycling route through Ancoats, or from New Islington to Ancoats along a really, really nice marina that's full of people walking. It's kind of, there's a few different bakeries. It's a really nice space. And in this area, there's not, there's not that many open spaces. And instead of putting a segregated cycleway on the main road which has five lanes of traffic and has recently had 10 million pounds spent on its upgrade they are trying to the Manchester City Council are trying to put the the walking and cycling route which is a is a major link route so it, it is specifically for commuting through this very pedestrian recreational kind of sitting and being space rather than than taking that space away and by doing that, you you automatically kind of put 
pedestrians and cyclists at odds with each other, both in terms of the space itself, but also within this wider space of kind of what a city is and and who is in a city and and where people are supposed to be in the city. And it shouldn't be like that. If we really want to have modal shift, we need to start reallocating space away from cars and a lot of time if you do anything like that then you get a lot of uproar from drivers but there's there's very little discussion about kind of taking that space away from pedestrians and I think that's yeah it's often pedestrians who do suffer um within that. In terms of the um the Greater Manchester context as well what would you what in say in the next five years do you think things will be different in five years well hopefully what what might have changed around sort of inclusive active travel I would really like to see more people on on standard cycles I've definitely noticed that since I started getting since I have been cycling on a trike I've had a lot more people on social media for example saying I'd never even considered a trike as an option. I thought trikes were for old people and and people saying that they're considering one as well now. And that's really nice because it it shows that you need to see people doing something for you to start considering that it's an option for yourself as well. So I think that's one aspect that if we get more people cycling and more disabled people cycling, then hopefully it will be kind of, it will build. So that's one aspect. I think another aspect is is the access to inclusive cycles and and that's something that needs to be worked on another one is with the b networks is that we just need to keep the momentum and the energy of holding councils to account to to ensure that when things are being implemented they're being implemented inclusively and to to ltm 120 and it it helps so much to have that design guidance really because you can just keep sending it and saying you know this is this is what this is what needs to happen um and i think more widely we need more than just kind of the b networks we need to be looking at local journeys and how to enable those local journeys um and to maybe move a i move a bit away from from focusing on commuting journeys is yeah and it's looking at the everyday and i think children's journeys as well as are a really nice way to do that because they're going to school twice kind of there back that's two journeys a day um but then obviously you need to start looking at the wider practices around that because it's hard sometimes for parents to be able to take their children to school so we need to have the safe infrastructure for that but it, yeah to have this kind of joined up approach where there's the policy there's the projects there's the infrastructure so earlier you were mentioning um, cycling as well with with your dog um who's become something of a star on social media could you say something about your dog <laughs> yeah so we got frida um we got her very luckily at the start of the just before the start of the first lockdown um i just i i had a bit of trouble at, first after my accident so kind of i'd always been doing cycling for for everyday cycling since living in the Netherlands but also I used to do a lot of touring cycling and sports cycling and I was really struggling with not being able to do those anymore and then so I was so 
it's just trying to find ways to enjoy a different type of everyday life. And I've always wanted a dog and we'd always been putting it off saying, you know, we'll wait until we live in a house with a big garden. And then just finally was really fed up and thought, let's just do it. And she'll be a good excuse to kind of go out the weekends. And then because we don't have a car, there's and cycling is our primary form of transport from the second day we had her we started training training her I'm not sure that's the right word but we kind of put her in a backpack and put her on the bike um and fed her lots of treats and she just she just loves it she's she's very attention seeking uh, <laughs> which is amazing so she'll be she'll be like sitting in in the bucket of the cargo truck and she'll be quite chilled out and she'll hear people in the distance and she'll suddenly pop up um to to give them a show I think and I think people really like it they I I'm very uh I'm very shy and I I find it quite embarrassing but it is really nice to cycle past people and see their really positive reaction um and I think it draws attention to cycling as well because normally it's quite like a fast someone will just go past you but you can't really not, not notice if and often I carry my husband as well in in the front bucket of my of my cargo truck so it's quite obvious when we go when we're going past and Frida's at the front so it, yeah it is and well funnily enough as well I haven't had any close passes on the trike since cycling with Frida either so I think that's I mean, there's something to say there about how people value dogs over over human beings as well. But yeah, I mean, she loves it. She just we've started putting goggles on her because, and that is because we we started using the cargo trike, and because it's a bit lower down, I was worried about stones flicking up into her eyes. But she takes it all in her stride, and she she's always excited. I think it's because we are we kind of started building in having so we would do our shopping, but it's about more than doing our shopping it's about going for a nice cycle along nice routes and stopping at a park where we can throw tennis balls for her and you know come back via a nice way to have coffee so it's kind of it's trying to make because I, I mean I just really love cycling so it's making cycling my hobby but in a in a different way and a more everyday way so Frida is a really important part of that but yeah, I mean, I changed my I changed my Twitter handle to Tricycle Mayor, and then someone someone said to me that actually it was Frida that was the Tricycle Mayor, and now I've realised that they are they are correct. She is. <laughs> oh, dogs on bikes are always popular, aren't they? I think my my most popular tweet ever was just a picture of somebody with three dogs in her cargo bike. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're just the they're a people pleaser. <laughs> Excellent. No, and that does link back nicely into the question that I've just remembered I was going to ask you, which was when you were talking about sort of local trips. So there's been a lot of talk recently about the, well, it, it varies. Sometimes it's the 15 minute city, sometimes it's the 20 minute neighbourhood, this kind of focus on things being local. Do you think that that's a useful, those concepts are kind of useful as well? I, I do. I really like them. I think that we need to, I, like, I prefer the 20 minute neighbourhood just in terms of people's speeds. Uh, and I, I I hope that kind of from people spending a lot more time in their local areas as well during COVID and, and lockdown that perhaps people see the value in that as well. And in my research at the moment and just talking about people about what they've been doing during lockdown and how they've been using their local neighbourhoods, it's really nice to hear how people know their local neighbourhoods a, a lot better. 
um, and are spending a lot more time and getting to, to know all of the different roads and, and using local shops and local places to go and get a coffee when they go and um, walk. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, for us, it, it comes into the same kind of having, trying to make cycling and doing these everyday activities part of the hobby. So we're starting to use a, a local refill shop, for example, and cut that part off of our off of our supermarket shop. And and it does it's having the the time to do that as well. So there is a there's a time element that you have to have kind of that disposable time to be able to go there. So and we're looking at how to do all of our our shopping locally and, and what we can do plastic free. Um, yeah. Thanks very much, Harry. That was a really great chat. And yeah, look forward to seeing what happens with your next with your research with Greater Manchester. You've been listening to the Active Travel podcast. You can find us online on our website at log.westminster.ac.uk forward slash ATA forward slash podcast. We're on most podcasting hosts and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram, both at active underscore ATA. Let us know what you think. Drop us a tweet or an email at activetravelacademy at westminster.ac.uk. Thanks for listening. Until next time.